The Galleon is up against the pound on Diagon Alley this week. We'll have more details when we do the numbers. You're listening to the Quiver Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for voodoo economists. Well, 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 Arthur Weasley. Busy time at the ministry, I hear. All those raids. I hope they're paying you overtime. What's the use of being a disgrace to the name of wizard if they don't even pay you well for it? We have a very different idea of what disgraces the name of wizard, Malfoy. Clearly. I'm Heather Price-Wright. And I'm Alex Dallenberg. Welcome to episode 8 overall and the second episode of Harry Potter and And the the Chamber Chamber of of Secrets. Secrets. We said it in unison a little there. Yeah, you did that on, on purpose. That'd be nice. (laughs) It was cute. Way to go. (laughs) This week, we are reading two action-packed chapters. We promised you three chapters, but then we got through those three chapters, and there was just too much, so we're going to divide it into two. This week, the chapters we read are At Flourish and Blots and The Whomping Willow. This podcast contains spoilers for the Harry Potter books, of course. It will also contain ample cursing and other adult language, and it will contain adult themes. This week's adult themes are living paycheck to paycheck, owl elder care, evil thrift stores, tyrannical narcissists, and grand theft auto, the crime, not the video game. Do you want to tell us what happened? Yes. I absolutely do. This week's chapters kick off at the Burrow, home of the Weasley family, full of magical mischief. Fred and George are blowing things up in their rooms. There's a ghoul in the attic. Everyone is always bumping into each other on the staircase while they're getting ready to head back to Hogwarts for term. But of course, first, they have to go to Diagon Alley to pick up all their magical school supplies. And this entails traveling by flu powder, which is... This glittery powder that you throw into a fireplace and you step into the flames and it transports you to another fireplace. So yet again, we are seeing how wizards have lots of insane logistics to get from place to place. Harry mispronounces Diagon Alley diagonally, which for some reason transports him to this shady-ass store in Nocturne Alley, which is where all the, I guess, evil stores are in the Harry Potter universe. So Harry ends up in Borgen and Burks, which is basically a much more upsetting hot topic. Harry, very disoriented, wonders where he is. He sees ba 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 motherfucking Lucius Malfoy and Draco Malfoy walking through the door. Harry dives into a... Is it a wardrobe? I think it's the vanishing cabinet. Some ca- It's the vanishing cabinet? It's the vanishing cabinet. Well, yeah. that's... Okay, well, spoiler alert. Maybe it's the vanishing cabinet. I'm not sure... I was really worried about Harry jumping into some kind of, you know, you don't... Wardrobes, as we know from many fantasy books besides this one, can do all kinds of crazy things. So I'm glad Harry wasn't, like, eaten or disintegrated or turned into, like, a venomous tentacula or whatever by jumping into this cabinet. But he hides in a cabinet. Lucius and Draco come in. Draco wants a present. Lucius is there to sell off some dark-ass magic shit that he has. He's trying to pawn off his evil goods. We get a peek into Malfoy family dynamics, and would you believe it? They're not that pretty. Harry sneaks out of the store after the Malfoys 
leave, runs into Hagrid, who for some reason is also in Nocturne Alley, and tells Harry, You shouldn't be here, Harry, it's a dodgy place. Which, why is Hagrid there? But we are going to get to that later in this episode. Harry is reunited with the Weasleys and the Granger family. There's some various shopping, more wizard banking. They go to Flourish and they go to Flourish and Block. Flourish and. Ugh, fuck the name of this store. Flourish and. Is it Blots? It's Blots. It's Flourish and Blots. They go to Flourish and Blots to pick up their gazillion textbooks written by Gilderoy Lockhart, who was also there signing books. He is this wizard sex symbol, lifestyle influencer. He sees Harry, hustles him into some photos because he knows a good publicity opportunity when he sees one. The Weasleys run into the Malfoys, Lucius Malfoy, demonstrating that no Malfoy has any chill, is a real shitbird to the Weasleys. There's a fist fight between Arthur and Lucius. For some reason, they don't use their wands. Uh... <laughs> That is such a good point. <laughs> Arthur's like, we're doing this the old-fashioned way, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> Come at me, magic bro. <laughs> anyway, oh, well, well, uh, I'll wrap this up. Well, also Lockhart <laughs> says that he's going to be their teacher. Oh, yes. Lockhart says he's going to be their Defense Against the Dark Guards teacher. So, boom, we've got another one of those. Hopefully Voldemort's not hiding in his hat this year. <laughs> Everyone leaves Diagon Alley, uh, heads back to the burrow. It's time to go to school. Arthur has enchanted the car to make more space for their various trunks and birds and things. They head off to platform nine and three quarters. All the Weasleys go through the barrier to platform nine and three quarters, but Harry and Ron, they can't get through. So what do they decide to do? Steal the family car and fly it to Hogwarts. Not a great idea. It's super fun at first, then it gets kind of boring because they get sort of thirsty because they ate too much candy, and eventually they crash into a tree, the Whomping Willow, that kicks the shit out of their car. They manage to escape this most dangerous arboreal foe and wind up on the doorstep of Hogwarts, not before the car ejects all their luggage and gains, like, sentience and runs off into the forest. Anyway, they end up on the front doorstep of Hogwarts. Snape comes out and is very snape and He's like, I, I can't do a Snape impression. But uh, anyway, there's detentions for them for stealing a car, but otherwise no major repercussions and their heroes to everyone in their dorm room because they stole a car and that's cool and that's where we are this episode it's kind of amazing to me how many plot points in the early harry potter <laughs> books hinge on like eating too much candy <laughs> like they learn who nicholas flamel is because of a chocolate frog in this scene their main problem until they hit the whomping Will willow is that they have eaten all their caramels and that was dumb. and they had no water with them pumpkin juice pumpkin juice they don't even fucking want water they're they fantasizing they are fantasizing about the ice pumpkin juice down in the hogwarts express which they can see far below them and just wizards are so fucking basic it is like 
PSL season all the time in the Wizarding World, the only thing you get is either iced pumpkin juice or I what, later think, on there's more pumpkin beverages, no, isn't there? I just mostly think that Wizards anticipated pumpkin mania. I think they have a galleon mine on their hands if they marketed pumpkin juice to muggles, clearly. Absolutely. Bitches in Ugg boots <laughs> would be quaffing pumpkin juice left, right, and center. The Weasley twins, in addition to their joke shop, should just like be pumpkin spice magnets. Sorry, we have pumpkin spice on the brain because pumpkin is fucking everywhere right now because it's October. Including so. on all our zoo Instagrams. Including all our zoo Instagrams. It's just animals eating pumpkins, kicking pumpkins around. The small ones get inside the pumpkins and... It's a pumpkin you know, disaster. Wizards are just all about dem pumpkins. Yeah. So... Hagrid grows giant pumpkins doesn't he yeah that's like a major plot point in book three but is Hagrid's big ass pumpkins the Starbucks pumpkin spice latte is like one of the great anti-data decisions because Starbucks had focus tested this thing over and over and nobody liked it and some Starbucks VP said you know I got a good feeling about this maybe a Harry Potter reader maybe a wizard maybe a wizard a I think wizard that guy, invented the pumpkin spice absolutely. latte absolutely whatever Starbucks VP was like <laughs> believe me this will be huge, was secretly a wizard. <laughs> it was Mathalda Hopkirk or something. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. All right, I, I did not expect that to veer into a discussion of the pumpkin spice industrial complex. You weirdly love talking about the pumpkin spice industrial complex. I pitch so many pumpkin spice stories at work, even though I don't really care for these beverages, but something about it fascinates me. So it's interesting to me that J.K. Rowling was on top of this years before anyone else. J.K. Rowling can see the future. So remember last week when we basically had a quibble-free episode? And yeah, we were, last week was so earnest. Yeah, and we were like, God, these chapters are perfect. Yeah. We are making up for that because this is essentially an all-quibble episode because Jesus Christ, these wizards are up to some bullshit in these chapters. Quibbles and commentary, quibbles and commentary, but mostly quibbles. Heavy quibble. Okay. So let's, so. let's start with a doozy. All right. Let's fucking talk about flu powder. What do you think about flu powder? It is a disaster. <laughs> Just top to bottom. It doesn't seem like having a fireplace should predicate access to a main means of transportation throughout the magical world, which actually we see that problem later on when they try to connect the Dursleys to the flu network. Right. And the Dursleys have filled in their non-working fireplace. <laughs> and the Weasleys basically tear their fucking living room down. All right, well, we'll get to that. I just want to, like, look ahead to the many ways in which flu powder will prove a disaster in these books. It is the worst possible means of transportation I can possibly imagine. You have to be able to speak clearly while there's fire in your mouth. Harry took a pinch of flu powder and walked to the edge of the fire. He took a deep breath, scattered the powder into the flames and stepped forward. The fire felt like a warm breeze. He opened his mouth and immediately swallowed a lot of hot ash. The Diagon Alley, he coughed. It felt as though he were being sucked down a giant drain. He seemed to be spinning very fast. The roaring in his ears was deafening. He tried to keep his eyes open, but the whirl of green flames made him feel sick. Something hard knocked his elbow, and he tucked it in tightly, still spinning and spinning. Now it felt as though cold hands were slapping his face. Squinting through his glasses, he saw a blurred stream of fireplaces and snatched glimpses of the rooms beyond. His bacon sandwiches were churning inside him. He closed his eyes again, wishing it would stop, and then... 
He fell face forward onto cold stone and felt the bridge of his glasses snap. Dizzy and bruised, covered in soot, he got gingerly to his feet, holding his broken glasses up to his eyes. He was quite alone, but where he was, he had no idea. Who can be expected to enunciate in a situation like that? Also, it's like if they had to travel everywhere via horrifying roller coaster. <laughs> That's a problem with a couple of different wizard modes of transportation. Well, yeah, they basically build a theme park ride into Gringotts. Or when they travel via, oh, what are the objects called that you port touch? Keys. When you travel via port key, it's the same thing. There is a lot of criticism to be leveled against the New York City subway, but it is not a hell ride. That sea train literally sounds like a Nazgul. What's a Nazgul? Oh, wrong, different book. Lord of the Rings. The, like, freakish... Oh, those horse things? Yeah, well, they're not always horses, but, you know, they... Never mind. Let me find a Harry Potter metaphor. There's nothing that sounds like that. They sound like mandrakes. The sea train sounds like screaming baby mandrakes. <laughs> that actually was a good pivot. I liked that. Hey. No, but... I trying to stay limber on the Quibbler podcast. Okay, fine. Yeah, the sea train's terrible. It is not heinously uncomfortable every single... Like, he says he feels like throwing up. He comes out of it. His glasses are broken. His elbows are all torn up. That should just not happen to you in standard issue transportation. Did someone expose himself to him? No. Are you really arguing in favor of flu powder? I'm just being the devil's advocate here. I think flu powder pretty clearly doesn't work very well. Yeah, it seemed... Okay, coming out of... I'm taking... Traveling? I'm taking my devil's advocate hat off. Your devil's advocate fedora. My devil's advocate fedora hat off. You don't have to call it a fedora hat. Fedora hat. <laughs> We're so Sorry. off the rails. This is like... Guys. God, this episode is... No, going... it's going to be great. I love it. I'm already this what, really happy. This is what post-production is all about. Okay. Stepping back on flu powder. Yes. It seems patently ridiculous. What magic was used specifically to create a substance that allows you to fly through fireplace grates. And why <laughs> is that when the they, magical process that they came up with? Who decided this was an innovation? Yeah. Who, What's the... Uh, right, what tangled mess of a brainstorming session? Who's the Andrew Carnegie that came up with a flu, of, of the flu network? That thought, uh, you know, what would be a, a good way to get around is fireplaces. Um, Flying as if you, he says he feels like he's being sucked down a drain. So just experientially, <laughs> the UX is not good for flu powder. Also, you can see into other people's homes and you can get off at the wrong house. Just so, a glimpse, just a glimpse. Yo, thieves. In what way it is It does seem far less secure than... Uh, we get no indication that the flu network has any protection. Why can't you just come out anybody's fireplace? There must be some... Must there? Must there? I No, but there must be some kind of charm you can put on your house to, like, only turn it on or off. You know, in a fireplace, you can open the vents, you know? Why is Harry Potter able to tumble out into evil Buffalo Exchange? <laughs> Why is there no flu network safeguard 
wherein that's just not an option. Yeah. And the other weird thing is because adults in the wizarding world can apparate, it it's seems only to, children. It seems to mostly be built so that families can travel together. Right. <laughs> you have built the most dangerous and insecure possible infrastructure specifically for families to travel with young children. All right. So flu powder is patently insane, but it is in keeping with the spirit of these books in that there's this normal ass thing, the chimney, that now has a magical purpose so that's cool kind of i guess yeah i just i'm really concerned about their engineers (laughs) their city planners just none of the inventions surrounding and this is i mean this is why they have a game that only one player matters i mean they don't think their systems thinking is not great yeah Terrible systems thinking. That's, <laughs> thank you. That's the that's the concept I was looking for. Their infrastructural energies are deeply misspent because all of these. The thing that's hilarious to me is it's all labyrinthine and complex and clearly pretty difficult to achieve magic. Like, what's flu powder made out of? I I don't know. It's just magical dust, ashes. Right. It also just really just freaks charcoal. me out. It really freaks me out that you can see into other people's homes, even if it is just a glimpse. Just a glimpse. Does that mean you can never fuck in front of your fireplace? Because somebody might be flying through your fireplace and just, like, see you? Actually, what seems more likely is that freaks would be fucking in front of the fireplace and Harry would, like, catch a glimpse of various, Ew, you know, kind of like, activity. You know, like, chat roulette? Oh, my Remember God. Chat, it's like wizard chat it's roulette. It's like wizard fireplace yeah. chat roulette. So Harry, like, catches a glimpse of, like, Mr. and Mrs. Sprout or something. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Professor Sprout, you dirty bird. It's Professor Sprout and Flitwick. Just no. a gl- Just a glimpse. I think Flitwick's gay. Oh, okay. He's kind of the Tim Gunn of the Wizarding World. So maybe it's Professor Flitwick and, I don't know, Gilderoy. Anyway, this is just my slash fic. This is my, like, deep tracks Hogwarts professor slash Flicks fic. past Filch and Mrs. Norris is great. Uh, it's got adults. Oh this is why it's marked explicit. E. This one e. is a big red E. But... Plot-wise, it serves the purpose of getting Harry someplace he doesn't belong, which is Borgen and Burks. Which is another disaster of a place (laughs) in the Wizarding World. Okay, so Borgen and Burks is this purveyor of dark goods in Nocturne Alley. Harry, which Harry doesn't realize until he leaves the shop and sees the placard or whatever. But anyway, Harry knows he's in some place dodgy as fuck hides inside the cabinet, and then we get our first glimpse of Lucius Malfoy. So we talked in the last book about how clear it often is that Draco has some problems at home. Kids aren't bad in a vacuum. Draco wasn't born bad. Well, actually, wizards have a really deterministic idea of the ability of people to be born into bad families with bad blood, and they're just bad. I don't believe that. I think it is pretty clear that J.K. Rowling doesn't believe that. Yeah, well, so many times in these books, she twists those assumptions yeah she'll definitely complicate those assumptions assumptions. Mm -hmm. but so draco's particular kind of bullying has made it very clear over and over that he has difficult parents and this strange home life and we see that right away with lucius who's really he's very awful to draco he's he's mean he's dismissive he's a really really cold and cruel father figure it's actually kind of heartbreaking to read as a grown-up watching Draco really just fight for his father's attention. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's doing it by being an asshole about Harry. Also, I think it's hysterical that all Draco has been doing all summer is just 
bitching about how Harry Potter's on the Quidditch team. <laughs> when his dad is like, you've told me this 12 times So already. many, so many times. Can it, Draco? I also think it's hysterical that Draco is trying to touch all this horrifying stuff in the store. He reaches out to grab an eyeball. At one point, he wants to touch a hand of glory. Which shines a light for... Thieves and plunderers. For thieves and plunderers. And that's not what that hand that's not, of glory no, is. Yeah. <laughs> Lucius, Lucius tells Draco, yeah, the hand of glory is for thieves the... and plunderers. Yeah, that's that's not what that's for. Draco's like, Dad, all I want for Christmas is just a fucking torture device. <laughs> and you really promised that I could buy something horribly evil that I could maybe kill people with. Yeah. And is that so much to ask? The stuff that's in there is really, 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 really dark. There's just... Yeah, the these... enchanted the enchanted necklace that's killed that kills however many muggles a dozen muggles or something yeah. Ugh, it's uh, yeah it's a spooky place so also surprise surprise Lucius Malfoy is in possession of, of a roll of parchment long list of horribly dark items in his own home that he needs to pawn off really really fast because the ministry is quote doing raids led by Arthur Weasley that flea bitten muggle lover mm-hmm. yeah and they're they're talking about a new muggle protection act Lucius Malfoy is furious at the idea that he should not be allowed to have things that are designed specifically to murder non-magical people, (laughs) apparently. So, of course, we learn that, indeed, Draco is acting out because he comes from a house of pure menace, terror, and evil. And, you know, that'd be hard on a kid. I hope my son will amount to more than a thief or a plunderer, Borgin, said Mr. Malfoy coldly. And Mr. Borgin said quickly, No offense, sir, no offense meant... Though if his grades don't pick up, said Mr. Malfoy more coldly still, that may indeed be all he is fit for. It's not my fault, retorted Draco. The teachers all have favorites, that Hermione Granger. I would have thought you'd be ashamed that a girl of no wizard family beat you in every exam, snapped Mr. Malfoy. Ah said Harry under his breath, pleased to see Draco looking both abashed and angry. It's the same all over, said Mr. Borgin in his oily voice. Wizard blood is counting for less everywhere. Not with me, said Mr. Malfoy, his long nostrils flaring. No, sir, nor with me, sir, said Mr. Borgin with a deep bow. I like this chapter because you see how it would be hard to be Draco. Yeah. Especially, and you see why Draco later on in the book lashes out at Hermione. Lucius says basically the worst thing you could say to someone in the Malfoy family, which is, why are you getting your ass handed to you by a mudblood, Hermione Granger? And that just must cut Malfoy to the core, even more than Harry Potter. I mean, Lucius also says a thing that we wondered why he didn't say last book, which is that he says it's imprudent to let on that you don't think Harry Potter is a great savior and hero because most of our kind see him as the one who sent the Dark Lord away. Other than Lucius goes and (laughs) just ignores his own advice utterly and is a total asshole to Harry and the Weasleys like in public and just is a very, very clear Voldemort supporter and dark wizard. I also want to talk just a little bit about the very concept of Nocturne Alley. Mm -hmm. So Harry Potter comes out of the crazy nonsense fireplace 
flu network in what turns out to be Nocturne Alley, which is, I guess, like a side street off of normal Diagon Alley. <laughs> diagonally from... Diagonally from... From Diagon Alley. Nocturnally. Nocturnally. As is the pun. And it's like Evil Street. Clutching his broken glasses to his face, Harry stared around. He had emerged into a dingy alleyway that seemed to be made up entirely of shops devoted to the dark arts. The one he'd just left, Borgin and Burke's, looked like the largest, but opposite was a nasty window display of shrunken heads, and two doors down, a large cage was alive with gigantic black spiders. Two shabby-looking wizards were watching him from the shadow of a doorway, muttering to each other. Feeling jumpy, Harry set off, trying to hold his glasses on straight, and hoping against hope that he'd be able to find a way out of here. An old wooden street sign hanging over a shop selling poisonous candles told him he was in Nocturne Alley. This didn't help, as Harry had never heard of such a place. He supposed he hadn't spoken clearly enough through his mouth full of ashes back in the Weasley's fire. Trying to stay calm, he wondered what to do. Not lost, are you, my dear? said a voice in his ear, making him jump. An aged witch stood in front of him, holding a tray of what looked horribly like whole human fingernails. I guess it begs this larger question I have about the wizarding world, which is like, is dark magic controlled? Is it illegal? Is it regulated? Like, why is there just a street that's evil street. It's kind of the Slytherin problem. It's kind of the Slytherin problem a bit. Yeah, that's more, true. It's more exaggerated because you have these purveyors of cursed objects and other right. dangerous goods. My so, main question is, are they operating legally? Like, is it like Vegas, where there's like a little part of the wizarding world where they're like, well, we frown on this, but we may happens, as well. What happens on Nocturne Alley stays on Nocturne Alley. Yeah. Is it zoned for this? I exactly. <laughs> is this just a, they have just like evil zoning laws? Well, it can't be illegal because it's right there. Right. Hagrid says you don't want to be seen here, but he doesn't say you can't be here. It would just be bad for your reputation. I just It's feel like, like the red light district of the wizarding world with less sex and more fingernails, I guess. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> trying to think if there's like an apt metaphor because I guess it's sort of like prostitution. Or head, sh it's more like head shops. It is, I guess. The closest thing is that it's like head shops and they have to be like, oh, we just, we just <laughs> sell bongs for tobacco. <laughs> or we just sell muggle murdering weapons for display purposes. Yeah, for collectors, you know? But I mean, the laws there... I think this is going to speak to a larger issue that exists in the magical world, which is that it's kind of simultaneously like too punitive and too permissive. They don't have great regulatory oversight or criminal justice when people break their rules for anything. And I just feel like civil society doesn't really super thrive on like, that's not technically illegal, but it does make us assume you're a criminal. Well, it feels like it's a bit like our own system because we see the shopkeep at Borgen and Burke's. He says they wouldn't dare raid you, Lucius. So Lucius has a lot of pull in this world. So presumably wizards with dark 
persuasions can still have a lot of pull in this world if they are from old families or have a lot of money. You get the sense that there are loopholes. Lucius, as we'll find out, is on the board of Hogwarts, so he's politically well-connected. I have a more fundamental question than that, and Nocturne Alley is the first time that that raises my question, which is, is dark magic legal or illegal in the wizarding world? they have a really uneasy relationship with the concept of dark magic. Mm. Because they're constantly casting aspersions on people for being quote-unquote dark wizards, which to my mind means committing criminal acts with magic. But at the same time, it doesn't seem like dark magic or the dark arts are criminalized. Lucius has all this shit in his house that if the ministry were to raid his house, it would be illegal for him to own. But it is legal for him to sell this stuff in like... (laughs) an operating shop with like some fucking wizarding license like right off Diagon Alley. I just don't understand like where I mean it doesn't seem like cons- not not everything at Borgen and Burke seems above board, but it does seem legal. Right, but I mean mostly. I guess but so but do you understand my fundamental yeah, no, question? I know what you mean. Is dark magic allowed or not allowed? And like how they define the quote unquote like dark arts? Because there are all of these sort of sinister objects or these sort of objects that have been cursed in sinister ways but I just can't tell if that's a thing that the ministry like looks the other way about or a thing that's allowed in certain circumstances it just seems like they don't have a very good legal structure in place to like define and control what kinds of magic are criminal dark is not a useful term of art when you're trying to decide if somebody has done something against your wizarding laws my theory is that she's leaving it intentionally vague because the wizarding world's definition of what the dark arts are is evolving because Lucius mentions that a new muggle protection act is being considered which seems to imply that more things are going to be illegal than were before and I know I'm kind of like being picky about the question of regulation right but it seems to me a little bit shoddy like you said wizards are hilariously rule bound and litigious about so many other things they are like the (laughs) like Harry gets this crazy letter (laughs) about this spell that he didn't actually cast so they can detect the existence of a spell but they can't detect what wand or other magical implement it came from and this is a quibble actually with a little bit with Rowling's world building right which is that a really major sort of plot machine in the series is the wizarding government but I feel like she's really vague on the functions of the wizarding government and that always sticks in my craw and that's probably because I'm now an adult reading them and I know what a government is a little more but for how much emphasis gets put on the ministry first of all the ministry is like the only source of jobs (laughs) in the wizarding world. So for all the emphasis that gets put on the ministry as one of the estates of the wizarding world, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me what the Ministry of Magic's job actually is because to my mind, the main purpose of a Ministry of Magic would be to control the use of dark magic, which they clearly do, just not at all. Well, Hagrid explains to Harry that the Ministry's main job is to keep the muggles from finding out about the existence of the magical world. And it seems to me... That's a dumb main function. Well, if you were like a wizarding conservative, you would probably say that they've taken that original mandate and extrapolated it to all these other right. areas. Right, and in the process, ignored what should be their primary right. mandate, which is the safety and security of the wizarding world, which they just do not maintain <laughs> in well, we're gonna... any shape or form. Like, we're... the wizarding government is 
utterly mismanaged. But one of the things I think, one of the early signs to me that it's a, just a terribly managed and a terribly designed government is that fucking Nocturne Alley is just there. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, all of this shit is probably illegal. Nobody really regulates it. Everybody knows it's bad, but you can't really stop people from going there or doing it. Yeah, Hagrid's on Nocturne Alley. Which, that is another thing I want to talk about because like fun is he buying flesh-eating slug repellent what do you think he's buying i don't know something fucking shifty a monster (laughs) just another monster seems like a great place to find a monster shop he looks across the street and dun 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 spoiler alert sees a bunch of giant spiders (laughs) i wonder where those are gonna come in soon anyway what the fuck is the ministry up to clearly they have like a massive surveillance state and they haven't like looked around the bend on their only wizard street (laughs) to see that there's just shops full of monsters. So moving diagonally from this, what's our next topic? You know, it's Money Corner. Oh, it's time for Enchanted Economics with, is that what we're calling this segment? You can call it whatever you want, my love. Do you want to call it Enchanted Economics? Enchanted Economics with Alex Dallenberg. All right, let's do the numbers. So in these chapters, we get another glimpse of the dollars and cents Uh, I mean, galleons and sickles issues of the wizarding world. And that includes the fact that the Weasleys are poor as shit. I mean, we knew that, but now we can kind of make a guesstimate at how poor as shit the Weasleys are because Harry gets a glimpse into their vault. It's such a bummer. Yeah. It's a really bleak scene. There's not much there. He sees only one gold galleon and a pile of silver sickles. So rewinding to episode one, when we set our wizarding exchange rate, which we believe, based on the price of the daily profit, (laughs) we believe that a canut is roughly 25 cents, American cents, which would make a galleon, which is 493 canuts, $123.50. So there's the galleon and a bunch of sickles. Which presumably don't add up to the value of a whole galleon. they might because it's 17 sickles to a galleon okay so if there's a pile of this is where you have we have to do like the old middle school guessing game of like how many quarters are in like the fishbowl you know mm-hmm. i mean how many sickles do you think that would be oh i mean i mean may, there might be a couple galleons worth of sickles there if but anyway bottom line if you took all the sickles away they've got like 123 bucks so the weasleys probably have like 400 dollars in savings four or five hundred dollars tops like in the bank and in physical money and no credit That's it. Like, that's all they have. Which I used to think maybe Rowling was just fucking winging it on the money, but I'm not so sure anymore because about $400, at least in the U.S., the majority of Americans couldn't come up with $400 in savings to pay for emergency expenses. Most people are actually cash poor and live paycheck to paycheck, like the Weasleys. So So the Weasleys are a fairly good symbol of... The, well, I mean, I know they're in England, but they're a good symbol of the travails of the American of like middle class. L- of lower middle class uh, families. And I mean, the UK struggles with a lot of the same issues that uh, mm-hmm. the US does. The difference being that the wizards have no access to some of the financial instruments that do lessen that blow in the muggle world. Mr. Weasley doesn't have a 401k. We talked about credit access before, and like obviously credit is a problematic structure, but 
but it does mean that you can buy stuff even if you're cash poor. Mm-hmm. They don't seem to have any market. Like they don't <laughs> have any investment culture, it seems. Well, a weird thing is the Grangers are changing British pounds for wizard money. Right. So, so they there have must an there must be some fluctuating exchange rate. Does an exchange rate ne- necessarily have to fluctuate? Like it can't just be I Well, I guess this is it has the, go- to. the goblins would have to figure this out. Oh my but god. Anyway, the goblins, the goblins are setting the There's probably no transparency either. But, oh, I'm uh, sure not. There's no transparency. <laughs> with anything. I was thinking Mrs. Weasley clears out her entire savings. She empties the meager holdings of their vault and I was thinking she still has to buy the wand for Ginny which we have established is roughly $800 robes and Professor Lockhart like a true fucking dickwad teacher assigns all his own books. Well <laughs> let's be real like a true con man. Yeah. And charlatan. Right. He assi- That guy's running a pyramid scheme called <laughs> Teaching Defense Against the Dark he assigns his own textbooks and which are expensive they're expensive and it's, it's like half a dozen books yeah I think it's more than that I think for it's the like five eight or nine kids books. so there must be some kind of credit because unless they had cash at home that they were bringing with them and that's a possibility there's no way oh my god they have like a quarter of what they would need to yeah there's get no way so there must be store credit or some way they could buy their Meanwhile, goods. Harry is just like throwing gold around yeah like, he's just like buying I, everybody ice cream ice screams for everyone well this is and this is an interesting thing she touches on he feels weird when he sees the true financial hardship that the Weasleys are in I know and then he tries to block the view of his vault which I really imagine like the cave of wonders in Aladdin (laughs) just like stacked to the ceiling with like rubies and shit I know that they don't use rubies as currency but I imagine right right the way they describe the way JK describes his I think that that's a real experience that kids around this age start to have I feel like commenting on the differences in class with your peers is a really astute thing for JK Rowling to do in books for this age group because it seems like you're kind of 9 10 11 12 year olds that's like the age range at which you're starting to realize that Mm -hmm. having and not having things is a different experience for everybody I feel like before that you're not to the point yet where it occurs to you that there are experiences different from your own I mean Mm. you're still kind of I don't mean this in a judgmental way I just mean like psychologically you're still kind of like a kid narcissist and it doesn't occur to you that there could be dynamics in families that aren't the same as the one in your family just because difference hasn't really started to like register all the way yet next question what do they pay Arthur Weasley at the Ministry of Magic which Lucius asks really meanly facetiously but also but, valid question yeah valid question because he seems to work incredibly long hours and he seems rather influential since he can write new legislation yeah he's an unelected bureaucrat writing new laws yeah, which is another problem yeah I don't really understand will, uh, yeah the, the they le- have no electoral system. the legislative process seems really opaque but that's a discussion that's for another day for- and he, I don't know what they're paying him but clearly public service which seems to provide the bulk of jobs in the wizarding world is not a lucrative It also profession. seems like most wizarding house- households are single income. This is true. Like Molly doesn't work. Narcissa Malfoy doesn't work. Let's get away from quibbles for a second because the chapter after At Flourish and Blots is, it is the reason that one reads Harry Potter books. I liked liked the last chapter. No, I mean, I loved it too, but there's like, every time you get into sort of the wizarding world's sort of larger details, I just have a lot of questions. (laughs) Does not seem well run. But the next chapter is just, they can't get onto platform nine and three quarters, so they fucking steal the car. And it is such a glorious 
gloriously fun chapter. What do you like about it? I mean, they're flying a car to school. But at the same time, decision-making skills, not on lock. This probably rings true for you in a lot of ways. Why? I never had little brothers, so. You were a a brother. I was a big brother. You're a boy. That's true, I'm a boy. You guys are idiots. I was pretty straight edge. You wouldn't have stolen a car and flown it to school? I'm trying to... I've never stolen a car. I've done some... No, I've done some pretty stupid things. I'm not saying that you've ever stolen a car. I'm just saying the, like, impulsivity... That's true. ...of their decision-making. It's just a dude choice that they yeah, make. Yeah, it's a man choice. You're, but the whole time, you're just like, oh my god, if Hermione was standing next to you guys, or even fucking Ginny... Yeah. ...would be like, there are ten other solutions to this problem. None of them involve flying the already illegal car. And the other thing is... They don't have any idea how far away Hogwarts is. Yeah, like, that they make blows no my- calculus. They get so lucky. They do. How do they not run out of fucking gas? Does it run on gas? Man, I don't know. They don't know either. So they don't because it's like sputtering when they finally get there. Right, and I can't tell if that's them running out of gas or if that's the flying mechanism breaking. Because Mr. Weasley is a slightly less good engineer than we thought. <laughs> Still pretty fucking good. I mean, that's like five hundred miles. I know it's insane. Okay, it's a terrible, weird, impulsive, not good choice. But at the same time, if Harry has learned anything from his one year at Hogwarts is that you can't trust anyone. No one will do shit to help you. If you do not figure it out on your own, you are out of luck. Oh my, I didn't even think about that. Like, yeah, all of Harry's experiences McGonagall is like, why didn't you just send us an owl? And Harry is like, when has that ever worked for me? (laughs) Why didn't you get Dumbledore last year when I told you there were, someone was going to steal the Sorcerer's Stone? It's like, right, I fucking tried (laughs) to send an owl and instead I had to kill my teacher with my hands. (laughs) So. All right. Wow. In that light. Y'all grownups are not solving my problems for me. In that light, this decision makes so much more sense to me than it did. This is the first time reading it that I have ever thought, you know, Harry has gotten every indication that if he does not solve the problem he will probably instead be murdered right because yeah before that i thought oh this is just young boys making crazy reckless decisions as they do partly because they're not thinking things through and because it seems like a hell of a lot of fun which is partly why they do it it is partly why they do it i think ron is like let's take the call mate and I, <laughs> but i think harry is like going through his head he is thinking how many times have i asked for help and just deeply not received it from any grown-ups. Yeah, his first instinct is to rely on himself. Which is fair. But also, like, when the barrier gets sealed, and they even say this, like, who knows how strong that magic is? Yeah. Maybe everybody is trapped inside the portal forever. For all they know, Mr. and Mrs. Weasley are just gone. Well, they just panic, though. They don't even wait to figure it out. No, but I don't blame them for not waiting to figure it out, because Harry has tried to wait to figure it out in the past, and he's just gotten the shaft. Well, they get punished for it kind of do they though i just want to say so they they get to school they run into of course because what else would you fucking have on a school campus except for a murder tree ron gasped staring through the windshield and harry looked around just in time to see a branch as thick as a python smash into it the tree they had hit was attacking them its trunk was bent almost double and its gnarled boughs were pummeling every inch of the car it could reach ah 
said Ron, as another twisted limb punched a large dent into his door. The windshield was now trembling under a hail of blows from knuckle-like twigs, and a branch as thick as a battering ram was pounding furiously on the roof, which seemed to be caving. Run for it! Ron shouted, throwing his full weight against his door, but next second he had been knocked backward into Harry's lap by a vicious uppercut from another branch. We're done for, he moaned as the ceiling sagged, but suddenly the floor of the car was vibrating. The engine had restarted. Reverse! Harry yelled, and the car shot backward. The tree was still trying to hit them. They could hear its roots creaking as it almost ripped itself up, lashing out at them as they sped out of reach. And somehow it's their fault that they have hit the murder tree. It's like, why do you fucking have this thing? I know that gets answered in book three. I don't truly believe that the Whomping Willow is the best solution for the problem that it sets out to solve. <laughs> it seems like more trouble than it's worth. Like that description is super terrifying. When the branches are just coming at them and like pummeling, it's a car. Yeah. It's a car. Yeah. And it just like rips it to shreds. The car survives. Barely. Yeah. They I get mean, out of there. Yeah, but this is the scary part. But my other thought is, so they get beat up by the Whomping Willow and still they're like, oh, we made it. Here we are. We're fine. And then they're talking shit about Snape. I like Snape so much more in book two already because Snape has fucking impeccable comic timing in that scene. <laughs> you have to give Snape points for style because Ron's like, ooh, maybe he's dead. And Snape's like, oh, maybe he's right behind you wondering why you didn't arrive on the train. And you're just like, damn, Snape. And you know Savage. he waited. You know he Savage. waited. Oh, I love it. So then their punishment is... Detention? No lost points. And no lost points from Gryffindor, even though McGonagall took a hundred and fucking fifty when they were just out of bed. Yeah. Stay up late, shame on you. Yeah. Shame... Stay up late, McGonagall says, I have never been so disgusted in my life. You know the difference? Steal a car, crash it into a tree. The difference is that Dumbledore is there and he thinks all this shit is funny. That's true. And McGonagall just like cannot raise her ire to (laughs) quite the extent that she was able to because Dumbledore is just like, well, anybody want a jelly bean? Tart. There's a tart he wants. Oh, that's right. Wait, I was making a joke about him being obsessed with sweets, but you're right. No, he, he actually he, yeah, does. He, he, he's like he's Severus. Like, Severus, come on. We got to hit the dessert table. As a punishment, they get unlimited sandwiches. And a shit ton of pumpkin juice, which was all they'd been jonesing for for the all last on. like 11 hours. Basically, they get to fly the car and then all their dreams come true. And then they're literal heroes. Everybody screams and claps and stomps when they come into the Gryffindor common room. <laughs> And the exact thing that the teacher super didn't want to happen, which was that everybody idolizes them for their wicked cool entrance, totally happens. Yeah, so, I mean, maybe they're cutting them a break for the whole Sorcerer's Stone thing last no, year. No, I just think it's a wildly inconsistent meeting out of consequences that is entirely <laughs> at Dumbledore's whim. Because you know McGonagall, I just feel like if McGonagall had her druthers, she would just have a little bit more order in her life. Yeah. She must be so exhausted doing the emotional labor of... Just cleaning up Dumbledore's messes. I have... I feel for her really deeply. 24-7. She's like caught between crazy-ass Dumbledore and crazy-ass Snape constantly. And Snape's like, we could kill the children. That's and Dumbledore more, is like, candy! I mean, Filch also wants to kill that's the children. That's true. They have hired entirely too many people who want to kill the children. I don't know, man. There's some really weird human resources decisions. So, actually, terrible human resources 
those decisions are a really good segue to next episode because next time we're going to talk about Gilderoy. Yeah. Who is just a walking human resources nightmare. Oof, duh. Before we get to that, who's your unsung hero? My unsung hero would be the Grangers for this episode. Two muggles in a wizarding world just being pretty chill. They're down. They're along for the ride. They go to the Leaky Cauldron and have some wizard beer or whatever they serve there. With Arthur. Yeah. I, I want to hear- a cute scene. Yeah. I want to hear more from them. They I seem mean- proud of Hermione. I mean, honestly, good for them for trusting Hermione enough to believe that any of this is real and not putting her in a mental institution. <laughs> well, I mean, they've seen it with their own eyes. I guess that's true. I'm still impressed. I'm actually, when I think about it, I'm totally impressed that any Muggle family would get that letter and be like, yeah, sick. Okay. How much gold do you need? (laughs) Step one is we got a letter from an owl. Maybe it's real. That's not what my parents would have thought. I don't know. Maybe I'm not giving you guys enough credit. Mom and dad, do you think you would have sent me to Hogwarts? Um, send us an email and tell me. So I have two unsung heroes. All right. My first unsung hero is the Ford Anglia, which at the end of the chapter gains sentience, <laughs> which is sick. That, panted Ron, was close. Well done, car. The car, however, had reached the end of its tether. With two sharp clunks, the doors flew open, and Harry felt his seat tip sideways. Next thing he knew, he was sprawled on the damp ground. Loud thuds told him that the car was ejecting their luggage from the trunk. Hedwig's cage flew through the air and burst open. She rose out of it with an angry screech and sped off toward the castle without a backward look. Then, dented, scratched, and steaming, the car rumbled off into the darkness, its rear lights blazing angrily. Come back, Ron yelled after it, brandishing his broken wand. That'll kill me. I just love when the Ford Anglia is like, you know what? I am done here. And it throws their luggage out of the back and it ejects them from the seats. And then it just headlights blazing. It just runs into the woods to be free. I'm really happy for the car. And then my other unsung hero, this is just like a minor shout out, is the friggin' fat lady who is reclaiming fat. Good girl. You identify that way. J.K. Rowling's weird about body sizes. There's actually a fair amount of fat shaming in these books. But not for the fat, not for the fat lady, for the literal fat lady. Yeah, the fat lady is just great she's well dressed she has a lot of friends she has a very important role to play and when she sings it means the quidditch game is over so next week we are reading as i said the chapter called gilderoy lockhart and also mudbloods and murmurs Mm -hmm. two more faves this week's episode is brought to you by flourish and blots for everything you can't find on amazon it's a flourishing bookstore so the wizarding world braving technological disruption being totally spared from technological disruption because they barely have lights. The audiobook clips that you heard are provided by Penguin Random House Audio, and it is Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. By J.K. Rowling. If you haven't done so already, please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other people find this podcast. Consider it a bit like casting a magic spell that helps people find good things. It's like Lumos for podcasts. Um, And the other thing you can subscribe to, and this I really highly recommend, is our newsletter, which is tinyletter.com slash quibbler podcast. Alex sends it out once a week. Well, we both send it out, but Alex writes it, in case you guys couldn't tell. And it is full of interesting tidbits. This week we learned that Richard Sherman 
is a Gryffindor and actually an addendum to that is that he has since assigned Quidditch positions to all of his fellow Seattle Seahawks but decided that he has to be the coach because he's the only one that knows how to play, <laughs> play Quidditch. So also shout out to Richard Sherman. Our I'm, unsung hero. Another unsung hero, Richard Sherman. His favorite book is Order of the Phoenix. So That's my favorite. Yeah, well done. I think if we could get Richard Sherman listening to the Quibbler, that would be a great accomplishment. Anyway, subscribe to the newsletter and that's it from me. Thanks, amigos. Bye. Ah, the hand of glory. Your son has fine tastes, sir. I thought you were going to buy me a present.